Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Billy Lucci from Texax will join us in about 20 minutes. Looking forward to that visit. Plus David Hookstead in an hour. Outkick 360. Hour number two, just like that. It's here, Chad. Thursday edition. We are hunting five hours away. We have five more hours of dynamite content coming your way before the end of the week. That's right. I say it all the time, and I mean it. They said we wouldn't make it here, and here we are. One hour into the show on Thursday, and we've made it. So, to all you haters, once again, we prove you wrong. Tiki Barber doesn't think Aaron Rodgers can handle the media in New York. We'll get to that headline. But first, uh, Rex Ryan, he's the reported uh, leading candidate to land the defensive coordinator position with the Denver Broncos and new head coach Sean Payton, uh, NFL.com, reporting this. And, of course, uh, Ajiro Evero is now the defensive coordinator with the Panthers after doing a great job in Denver. And Rappaport and Garofalo said on Wednesday that they've zeroed in on Rex Ryan as as the guy. Uh, They've had other interviews, and by all accounts, Sean Payton was paired with Fangio. Prior to all this, Fangio then helped out the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Had just He's just recently, this week, signed his contract in Miami. So he's the defensive coordinator with Mike McDaniel. And now Sean Payton. I mean, what a, what a great gig for a defensive coordinator to just be dropped into with that Denver defense. Rex Ryan, of course, spent years with ESPN. Um, he hasn't coached since he was fired by the Bills in 2016. And now he's 60 years old and a chance to pair up with Sean Payton and what's What's being put together as an all-star coaching staff in Denver? It's it's odd to me that he's not been a coach since 2016. I, and when that happens, when you go away that long and you're in the media that long, my assumption is you're just going to stay in the media until you don't want to do that anymore and you're not going to get back into coaching. So this is no knock at Rex Ryan, the, the defensive coach. This is a compliment to Rex Ryan, the defensive coach. I'm shocked he hasn't been coaching defense for this long amount of time. I mean, you can go the John Gruden route and get out and stay in a media job for a long time and flirt with other ones and just eventually come back whenever you're good and ready. I didn't think Rex Ryan was doing that. I thought Rex Ryan was out. Clearly he's not because of this move. I think it's a terrific hire for Sean Payton to to get Rex Ryan. Say what you want about Rex Ryan, the head coach. Rex Ryan got Mark Sanchez to -to back-to-back in a, uh, the last a- time AFC they were in the championship games. Yeah, last time they were in the playoffs. I mean, he did a well, good job as a head coach. It wasn't all good, but as a defensive coordinator, I think it's an excellent hire. As a head coach or a defensive coordinator, his defenses have ranked in the 12 seasons. They've ranked in the NFL's top 10 defenses nine times, nine times out of 12 of those seasons. And um, he's he has the opportunity, based on this report, if they're zeroing in on him, He's taking over a defense for a team that was 5-12, and 12, and they were 7th in the NFL in yards allowed per game. Really good. That's how bad the offense was, and that's why Sean Payton's there. So, paired together, I mean, the defense shouldn't miss a mark. 
based on what we've seen. No, it's it's a great pickup for them. And, and any time, even when you're as powerful and a longtime head coach like Sean Payton, when you can add guys with head coaching experience on your coaching staff, never a bad thing. If you're secure as a coach and you're secure in your authority with the team, then you don't have any issue bringing on strong personalities or bringing on guys who have been a head coach before. That's the way I view Sean Payton. That guy has no issue knowing he's the man in the Broncos organization. And when you know that and you're not insecure, you can bring on Rex Ryan, who's got probably a stronger personality than Sean Payton, but he's an assistant coach as defensive coordinator. I love this move. I love this move for the Broncos. I love this move for Rex Ryan. I think it's very smart of Sean Payton. And they've they've interviewed him, Christian Parker. Uh, Reportedly, they wanted to talk or did talk with Vance Joseph, although I haven't seen that confirmed um, in the last 24 hours or so. Uh, and uh, Mike Zimmer was also a candidate, but Mike Zimmer uh, is, he is in, he's at Colorado with Dion, right? Yes. So yeah, he's, he's coaching uh, the defense for, for Dion. And so now they've zeroed in on, on Rex Ryan. They also interviewed Brian Flores, Peyton did. And Flores took the Vikings gig. As DC, we were just uh, you know giving all the accolades about the Broncos defense. Flores chose Minnesota over Denver. So Mike Zimmer, right now, he was a defensive analyst at Jackson State. Yeah, he's followed him to Colorado. Okay. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm not I'm not finding that, but if yeah, if you say so, then he's he's at Colorado now too. Um, but it would make sense. I don't know why. He wouldn't follow Dion to Colorado if he was with him at Jackson State also. Yeah, yeah, the the story from Sports Illustrated, Mike Zimmer joining Colorado staff under Deion Sanders. I mean, I'm assuming he signed that. So, Um, Brian Flores also opted out of the process with the Cardinals for head coach? No, I think he just knew he wasn't getting it. And so he he then decided on the defensive coordinator gig he wanted. Yeah, he said that he – I know in the, the introductory press conference he was saying how he prayed on it and decided that he didn't want the opportunity with the Cardinals because he knew it was sometimes you know where you're supposed to be, and it's with the Vikings. I'm well, with you. He probably knew he wasn't going to get the job. It's got to be weird on both sides if you're in the middle of a lawsuit and the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals is a part of your lawsuit because of their time, their one year with the Arizona Cardinals, with Steve Wilkes, you know? I, and look, he's... If I'm if I'm a part of a lawsuit though, and I'm still getting interviews, right? I don't know that I'm speaking publicly about taking my name out of a head coaching job the way he did. That's a good point. I mean, you just admitted in an interview that you prayed on it and you wanted to go be a defensive coordinator and weren't that interested in continuing through the process with the Cardinals. Now maybe this is yeah. just more fodder for I was getting led astray and I was just. You know, it was a Rooney Rule interview, and uh, I didn't feel like I legitimately had a shot at the job, and you can go back and claim that also if you're Brian Flores. I'm saying just from a legal standpoint, if I'm his lawyer, I'm probably saying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking openly about denying a third, second or third interview with a team if that's what they wanted from you. Because mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like when he's saying that. Whether that's true or not, he's saying, I thought this was the opportunity I should take, so I took my name out of the running for the Cardinals. I'm not and, saying I'm taking my name out of the running for anything. I'm letting the process play out. And if you don't get the job, 
If I'm Brian Flores, isn't that just more cannon fodder Depend- for your lawsuit? It, uh, it depends, though. Are they making him... Was this like what we saw uh, from Matt Rule? Matt Rule interviewed with the Jets years ago, and they wanted to dictate his coaching staff. And so Matt Rule said, nah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Sorry. And it, he admitted that. But he was a coach that wanted to get to the NFL but turned down the NFL. I don't know what Jonathan Gannon has been told he has to do or can't do. No idea. But it's clear Monty Austinfort, the new general manager there who came from Tennessee by way of New England, hired a defensive-minded head coach, which could have been Brian Flores in Arizona, turns out to be Jonathan Gannon, and now late in the process they're putting their staff together. I don't know who he was told he had to keep, couldn't keep, no idea. A lot of that, though, can play into it. And if you're doomed for, you know, this is a... That's an organization that's been to the playoffs just nine times since 1949. And you've got Kyler Murray under contract, big. You've got a defense that sucks. Like, if you're doomed to fail and you know it, remove your name from it. Absolutely. Don't take it just because you're Brian Flores. Absolutely. Also, don't expect to win your lawsuit. That... I, you st- I mean, he spoke on the record saying, I took my name out of it because this is more of a family. I'd rather be a defensive coordinator than continue to interview for a head coaching job. So even if he wants to come back and say, well, they were going to force me to hire assistants I didn't want to hire. Well, Jonathan Gannon was forced to do the same thing, I'm sure. And they could easily come back and say, yeah, we had stipulations with our new general manager on whoever we hire. It's not a race thing. Right. Jonathan Gannon had to hire this guy too, and he agreed to. To do it, I'm just saying I don't think it, I don't think it helps his case. Well, unless you just want to present it specifically right. Look, against the Dolphins, he can do whatever he wants. I, I I am all for that. If he thinks he's being led astray or doesn't like the ownership or didn't like the interview process, great, take that opportunity with the Vikings. That's what you want. I'm all for it. I'm simply saying when you have a lawsuit hanging out there, I'd probably be careful about what I'm saying in public about turning down a head coaching opportunity. Not that he was offered. But he had an he opportunity was, was, uh, to continue interviewing. Yeah, one of three finalists. Now, whether it's true or not, he is claiming publicly, I went to the Vikings before finishing the process with the Cardinals for the head coaching job. So, Over a weekend where the Cardinals could not make their hire official, though. Keep that in mind. They, they are not allowed to announce their coaching hire until after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, same for the Colts. Uh, New York media, Green Bay media, of course, different. But Tiki Barber believes that if Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Jets, he's not going to be able to handle the New York media and the onslaught that's headed his way. Um, Barber would know. I mean, he's been in that setting before. But, I mean, I, I saw this and I'm thinking, yeah, uh, Rodgers likes to talk, but he only really talks to one guy, Pat McAfee. And then the rest of it is what you see in front of the media in Green can he be pelted with stuff in New York? Sure. Um, but I just don't see, I don't see that as the same as 20 years ago, Jack. This is so stupid. The, the, I, I have railed against this for a long time. This is such a 1992 way of thinking. This is a pre-social media way of thinking. People that believe that are from New York or live in New York or are fans of one of these teams that believe that they are somehow more special than everyone else and athletes can't cut it playing their pro football all in New the Jersey. On them. Yeah. Give me a break. Every team has a high profile in the NFL. 
Every team faces social media scrutiny. They face some media scrutiny. They face all of these things. It makes no difference today. Did it make a difference in 92 when you were having to deal with multiple newspapers as opposed to other places and more talk radio and all that? Of course. But today, everyone covers the NFL from whatever city they're in, and that coverage is going to be great or going to be brutal, no matter what team you're on. Aaron Rodgers has played in this league long enough for one of America's teams, the Green Bay Packers. He's faced scrutiny. He's faced scrutiny over his stance on the COVID vaccination. He's faced scrutiny at other times in his, in his career. This is going to be no different. Tiki Barber sounds stupid to say this. Aaron Rodgers would be just fine. Aaron Rodgers needs to figure out about his isolation retreat and his life outside of football more so than worrying about some journalist in New York or Jersey ridiculous. Aaron Rodgers is more intelligent than most of the people covering him in that market or any other market. He's weird. He is, well, let me, let me say it. When you're weird and rich, you're eccentric. So he's eccentric. Uh, interesting. He's different. He's interesting. He's very, very intelligent. He will have no problem jousting with media in New York or New Jersey or Kansas City or Vegas or Tampa or wherever he went. This will have no bearing whatsoever on Aaron Rodgers. But Rogers. also, like, Rodgers will make those papers relevant from the sports angle, covering those teams, when they're good. That's, uh, they immediately, like, where the Jets were going into the season, the talk was elsewhere. Same for the Giants. So, I mean, you, I look at this as it's a win-win for both. Rodgers can go to the AFC with a good team set up to win, good young roster on both sides of the ball um, that has a run game with Brees Hall. And if you're covering these organizations, you're following a team that's going to be relevant. The Jets were for a bit, and then we know what happened. Even with a, uh, a good start, they knew they weren't going anywhere with Wilson at quarterback. And now they're searching. The best possible landing spot, I think, for Rodgers is, is New York is the Jets, based on the way they're set up currently and the parameters that I'm, I'm guessing are accurate where they would prefer to not trade him to an NFC opponent. Yeah, my point is the media is not going to affect his play one no. way or the other. And the media is sitting they're on their knees at night praying that Aaron Rodgers is there. I mean, and he, not just for the play. They, it, it makes their team more relevant. But also, he's going to say some stuff. He, You're going to love this in New York because he's going to say some things. And this is the thing about Aaron Rodgers. What you write about him or what you say is just going to put that you-know-what eating grin on his face. Sure. And he's going to go on Pat McAfee's show but, and blast off against the media that writes those things about him. And that's how he'll handle it. It's not going he, to affect his play. He hasn't been more scrutinized than the last three seasons. Uh, going back to, is he going to play? Is he going to do Jeopardy? What's he going to do? Um, and then he goes and wins MVP, right? Are they going to move on to Jordan Love? Are they going to stick with Aaron Rodgers? He goes and wins MVP. He's not happy, but wins MVP. Comes back, COVID season, back-to-back MVPs. Even in, in highly scrutinized season for him. He'll be just fine. Um, maybe certain players can't handle it as a rookie coming in with high expectations and you get in trouble and you're not playing very well. Not some of the best in the league. You've got to be – my only point is it's pretty much the same everywhere because our world is so much smaller now. You're getting coverage from all parts of the country at all times because of social media. 
if you are the person who's going to go on Twitter and read all your mentions and read every story and let that bother you and not motivate you, then you're going to be in trouble anywhere. Well, I don't think New York's any different from that as opposed to any other market. It, it, uh, you'll know where I'm coming from on this. If you're a nice guy, you're probably not going to handle that criticism very well. And He's not a nice guy. Uh, Rogers is going to handle criticism like he's handled criticism, regardless of where it's coming from. It's just an antiquated way of thinking to me. There's some hack radio DJ in you know, New York City right now saying the same thing. Oh, he can't handle us here. He's not going to be able to handle the coverage. Give me a break. Aaron Rodgers is going to laugh at questions that you ask and how you cover him and the team and everything else. It's really not going to be a problem because of the market. Coming up, Billy Lucci joins us from texags.com. We will get the latest on the Aggies, Jimbo Fisher, moving forward after what was an extremely disappointing uh, and, and a failure season based on expectations going into 2022. What's it setting up like for the offseason? We'll go around the conference a bit, too, and get Billy's thoughts on some of the other programs making moves. And we'll also update you on the Tiger Woods round at Riviera. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton Withrow with you, joined by Billy Lucci, founder, texags.com. Always a great visit when Billy can join us. Billy, hope you're well, man. I'm good. How are you guys? We are great. We haven't caught up since Bobby Petrino was hired. Um, and I'd, I'd like to just kick off there. Take us behind the scenes on how Petrino ended up in College Station. Well, I think first they were looking at him. I reported that a while before the hire. They were looking at him out of uh, Missouri State when he was coaching there. He was a candidate. He was a legit candidate. There were some connections there uh, within the Bright Complex, the football building, uh, to Petrino. And he was. it was kind of known in coaching circles, guys, that he was looking to to get out. He was looking to uh, make a move there in terms of, uh, you know, make a step back up to real, you know, power five college football. A&M was an opportunity. And then, you know, he took that UNLV job. I think he kind of felt like, okay, I, I can't wait. This is an opportunity work for Barry Odom. So he jumped on that, went out there. And then, uh, and then, Next thing you know, A&M circled back to him. I think the Aggies took a legitimate look at Garrett Riley, but that was so early in the process that I think Riley was not going to entertain anything until after the playoffs. Um, and then uh, the guy, now I'm drawing a blank on his name all of a sudden, at Washington, who later on Alabama made an offer or, or allegedly made an offer to and weren't able to get as well. So those were the two guys that, that I think Jimbo and the Aggies really looked at, along with Petrino, who was there wire to wire. It's going to be interesting to me because you talk to a lot of people that would say, uh, 
this might have the best chance of working for Jimbo from the standpoint of Bobby Petrino is probably on a very short list and one of the very few guys that that he would actually that Jimbo could say, "Hey, here's the offense. You take it. I trust what you're going to do. I, I know what you can do. You scored 63 on us when I was at Florida State. And you had Lamar Jackson. I know you from the SEC." You've been doing this at a really high level for a really long time. You're a guy I can trust on Saturdays. And I think that's a short list for Jimbo Fisher, and that's why he was so reluctant. I'm using the word give give it away, hand it over. Like he, We know he's not going to do that 100%, but I think Bobby Petrino is as close as he would get to that. So from that standpoint, I'm not saying that he was sitting there number one wire to wire and they said, we're going to make this move and flip to Bob because it would happen in a matter of days, you know, after the season. But as it turns out, I think this could end up being the, the Aggies best chance for success. Billy, I think from a play calling resume standpoint, it's an absolute home run to, to bring on Bobby Petrino. But my question would then become, and I hear what you're saying about, you know, you've got Jimbo that respects Bobby Petrino and is willing to, in the preseason, in the week of the game, say, hey, this is, you know, tell me what we should do here. Yeah. They'll work together. But when things go south for the first time, those two personalities, to me, that would be the biggest question mark. When there's a yeah. game that they don't score enough points or the offense isn't doing what Jimbo Fisher wants in the heat of battle, how does that look on the sideline or how does that look post game or how does that look? the next week with those two powerful personalities that have both done it for so long. No, you're saying exactly what I've been talking about for a while. And uh, that's why I use the phrase high risk, high reward. I think the reward, like you started off saying, I think the reward's through the roof. All of a sudden you've got an offense. If, if, if With the guys they have coming back on defense and the skill position players they have, you have an offense that can score – 30 plus points a game, 35 points and some some Saturdays, you know, explode for, you know, 44, 45, 48 points in a game. In other words, a top let's just call it a top 15 offense in college football. If they're able to do that, this whole thing turns around overnight. And we know that's what's been holding AM back for not just the last couple of years, but really so far in Jimbo's tenure. 2020 they were an incredibly efficient power offense they've always been able to run the ball they've had some great games but all told in a five-year span lack of ability to score has has generally held this program back from making it over the hump or in a season like last year it took it from what could have been a much better season to uh, to an on-field disaster so yeah I, i'm with you man it's if it doesn't go well and there's no way to predict that the only thing i will say is that and again, your your response to that will be something I agree with, which is exactly what you just asked. It is he has been not at all as advertised in the building around the program and in meetings. And uh, maybe it's the fact that he's not a head coach and he can ease up a little bit and just kind of just coach offense and coach football. Uh, whatever it is, he's actually been a breath of fresh air in that building. It's been really easy for everyone to get along with. And also, I get people that keep telling me, man, you ought to see them sitting in the room talking offense. Not just Jimbo 
and Petrino, but the other offensive guys, it's just kind of been kind of really uh, reinvigorated that room a little bit. So we, time will tell. How does it look on the field? And like you said, what happens when 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 the going gets tough? But you guys have been around this long enough to know. I mean, there have been arguments, there have been fist fights, there have been championship teams that have had dysfunction in rooms and there have been really bad teams where everyone gets along so will the the clash of personality will the will it be a clash and if it is will it be enough to derail Bobby Petrino Connor Wigman and Max Johnson at quarterback Evan Stewart and Nia Smith who's back now Moose Muhammad a couple of really talented freshmen Donovan Green at tight end and some uh, a trio of pretty damn talented running backs, including five-star Reuben Owens, who ironically enough was committed to Louisville before flipping to A&M. So even if it is button heads at times, is that enough to derail what they could potentially do on offense if things click? Billy Lucci, our guest on OutKick360, TexAgs.com, the site. Uh, so we now know that Texas and Oklahoma will be in the SEC in 2024. Texas A&M, I, I think... Listeners, viewers may be surprised if they don't know the inner workings that I've heard you say in the past, like you are eager to get Texas back uh, on the schedule on a routine basis. What's been the reaction from Aggies? I think Aggies are excited. I mean, I think their biggest concern is they feel like Texas should have to come here first just because A&M been in the SEC for how long, 10 years, 11 years now. And, you know, the original plan was that Texas A&M was only going to be the only team from Texas in the league. And I get that times change. That part doesn't bother me. It was the fact of kind of how it went down. I think that left a bad taste in most Aggies' mouths. But all told and in general, I think uh, people are pretty excited about Texas coming into the league. Like, let's go. I mean, the Aggies didn't want to play Texas when Texas was in the Big 12. Their home schedule was awful. They didn't want to throw them an every other year bone of this massive game in state. And it's just like I always say, it's like Vegas. They benefited more from the game than A&M did. It's like Vegas. The house always wins. Why would you enter into a wager where if you guys split 50% of the time, you lose? Why would you know? So I didn't want to see A&M play them while they were in the Big 12. I didn't want to see them meet in some meaningless bowl game. If they were going to let it be the cotton or the sugar or a playoff, and that's great. That would have been absolutely epic. I think those two teams meeting in the SEC Thanksgiving weekend is absolutely epic. And it's a level playing field, and nobody benefits more than the other except the team that wins the actual football game. I love that. How do you think moving forward – the conference will handle scheduling. What have you heard, and what what do you think is the best idea? Uh, I still think uh, I still think ultimately they go with the three permanents, rotate six and six, nine games. Every two years, you play everyone. I I just think there's too much common sense involved in that, and I know that people in the SEC would say, "Oh no, it's not nonsense. It's too damn easy." It makes too much sense. Go to nine. It's not a 12-team league anymore. It's a damn 16-team league. Go to nine conference games. The more fun is it's, – it's. I try to tell people, Texas know you this too. Like, 
what TCU did this year was incredible. It was fun. It was epic for for their fan base. But generally, year in and year out, you know, it'll be different with a 12-team playoff. But with a 14-team playoff, no matter how good you are, most years you're not going to that playoff unless you're Bama or, you know, your top three type program. Week in and week out, the SEC games are what are the most fun. It's not positioning yourself to make play nine damn conference games. And now, to me, there's no excuse not to. And if you do that, I think the best way to do it is it, A&M's about to go into year 12 in the SEC. And they're about to go into year 12. By the way, I don't even know what's going on with this camera. Why it looks like I'm looking this way, but we're just going to. Just gonna go you look, with you it. look great. Yeah, you look, it looks fun. Yeah, you yeah. look completely normal on our end. It, okay, good. <laughs> it's my my view of it. So, but to me, I don't, I don't understand why you know you just don't. Georgia has not been to Kyle Field. I had some buddies from Georgia come in that that work for Georgia and some donors come in for an AM Georgia basketball game, and I got them a tour of Kyle Field because they've never seen it. And they be, this will be the twelfth year in the SEC, and they're still not coming to Kyle. That's so crazy. in this setup, they're there every two years. Yeah, not that A and M, not that Kentucky's this uh, you know destination venue in college football like Rupp Arena is in basketball. Texas A and M has never played at Kentucky. We're twelve years into this thing. They've played Florida four times, Georgia once. It just makes no sense. It makes too much sense to do it this way. I think if they do anything else, they're screwing up. So going back to the Texas A&M, Texas thing that's going on now when they come to conference, I, I firmly believe that when the SEC made this addition, they look at Auburn, Alabama, and the Iron Bowl, and then you have you know the Red River shootout. I don't think the immediate thinking was, man, we get the Red River shootout now. I think the primetime rivalry is we get to force Texas, Texas A&M back together. And to me, that's more profitable than Texas-Oklahoma. Am I crazy in thinking that? I think that that's the rivalry in-state they really wanted to put together as a part of a package to pitch out to television networks. You know what? I, I think you're on to something. And Texas fans, quite frankly, obviously OU fans will, but Texas fans would probably disagree with you too. They value that Red River, I, I think, more than, than A&M Texas. But I just think... To the nation, to the state of Texas, which is what you know the SEC wants a complete foothold in in terms of television and all that, and to the country, I think Texas A&M Texas immediately jumps in, and especially like you said, you just use the word forced. I love that because it's so true. It is forced now. They can literally say. Shut your butts up. You're playing each other. Every year. You know, we're gonna Every we're gonna year lock you, guys you in the room. Yep. Yeah, we're gonna lock the door. You guys fight it out and get it out of your system, and whoever walks out wins. Whatever. Like I, I love the fact that it is being forced. And I think immediately it moves into a top five rivalry in, in the sport. And you look at what the SEC is about to have. They're going to have the Red River. They're going to have AM Texas. Uh, they have the Iron Bowl already. They have the cocktail party already. They, they've got, I'm assuming, Bama, Tennessee stays. They've got that. I mean, they've got some absolutely incredible rivalries in this league now, and, and they will not be adding just one. They'll be adding two of probably the top five in, in, in college football. 
Billy, what Buzz Williams has done now for a second straight year is, is yeah. remarkable and also crazy to think about that they're kind of in a similar spot where the non-conference early season was bad. Now they've mm-hmm. gone on a much better run this season, second in the SEC right now, only two losses. But it does put – it almost puts them and the conference in an uncomfortable spot where the rest of the conference is saying, I really wish you guys would have won one or two of the, or had two more big games in the non-conference, able to do that. Yeah. So everyone's not just taking L's in conference from a team with not no real great non-conference wins. What do yeah. you make of this with Buzz Williams and what they've done the last two years now? Well, first of all, two years – last year they actually had a really good non-conference record, but they didn't play – Yeah. They didn't play a schedule. And they were penalized um, for that year. on Selection Sunday. Yeah. Well, and they were really penalized from what everyone kept saying, which I thought was nonsense, was the eight-game losing streak. A lot of people couldn't get past that. They lost eight in a row in conference. But they also finished white hot. They won like eight of nine to end it or whatever it was. I think the biggest difference this year when we're having this discussion of A&M in the tournament, I agree with you. Like I'm sure these teams that are losing to A&M are gone. Man, it's not help. We we know this is a look. A and M's been playing for six weeks or whatever as as easily a top twenty team in the country. You look at what they've done. Oh yeah, with the eleven wins, they win Arkansas. They their only losses are at Arkansas, at Kentucky, Florida twice, Auburn twice, Missouri. They they've really been playing good basketball. But I think the difference between this year and last year is if this team finishes 12 and six in the league and people want to put them on the bubble. I think they'll be on the right side of the bubble because the reality is first of all, 12 and six probably gets you third in the sec this year. Last year, that eight game losing streak, they were nine and nine in the conference. They lost as many conference games as they won without the benefit of that, of that non-conference, you know, boost. But when you, when you go and look at this season, they're going to win twice as many in the league as they lost if they can get to 12. If they get to 13, I don't I don't think we're even talking we're talking about where are they seated and we're also we're talking about where are they seated and we're talking about who they're playing. 13 probably gets them second. It's no worse than a tie with Tennessee probably for second place in the league. But here's something no one's thinking about yet and I won't until Saturday as a really tough one at Missouri. Uh, if they get that game and they win and they're 12 and two in the league and they're one game behind Bama with Bama coming in here on the final Saturday of conference play, then I think you shift the conversation of is A&M in the tournament to can Texas A&M win the SEC? Because they could even lose another game at say maybe it's to Tennessee Tuesday or whatever and finish 15 and three with a win over Bama there and, and potentially still be in if Bama drops one from here or, or you win out. If you beat Bama, you're in, I mean, you, you, you've won the uh, sec title a share and you'd have beaten Bama head to head. So I'm not there yet. We're still saying, what do they have to do to get into the tournament? I think that magic number is probably 12. Uh but we're getting I, – I think if they could go win in Columbia Saturday and then you're hosting Tennessee on Tuesday night, these next couple games can determine like, hey, do they still have to work to do even though it's just a little bit? Or are we talking about a team that 
we could have an SEC title showdown in a couple weeks on Saturday at Reed Arena. One thing's for sure, it's wide open. Uh, the conference is yep. wide open uh, at the top. Billy, uh, always great to catch up with you, man. Um, appreciate the visit, the update. Um, and we've got SEC Media Days announced coming to Nashville. Oh, uh, yeah. We're taking you out. Let's go. We'll go big. A&M Monday, I'm coming to y'all. So that means I might have to do a little Saturday night, Sunday. Whatever's I'm necessary. I'm looking at like this. Saturday night dinner. Okay. I mean, Saturday night outrage. <laughs> Sunday, nice steak dinner. Okay. Then starts SEC Media Days, and I'll probably dip out after Wednesday, so a big Wednesday nighter, and then <laughs> I'll hopefully have a, a vacation plan on the back end of that. Saturday Night Rage. Uh, our city is your oyster, Billy. That, that's whatever you want to do. We, we got you. Key you, to the city. Yep. I appreciate it. I, I owe you guys for not going out uh, to the with the masses after that Alabama win. <laughs> well, uh, we'll never forget it. That was an epic uh, certainly, Clay certainly one were for the memory enough. books. Clay and Johnny were not enough. I'm, I'm too familiar with them. They, they do not. They did not get me to where I was like, I've got to go out and hang out with those guys amongst 70 million people. Johnny so has like, the ability though to disappear. It's a very. It's a. Yeah. It's a skill. He knows how He's to... He's mastered the Irish exit. Yeah, sure. in, in plain sight, too. He's there, everybody's <laughs> yeah. surrounding him, and then you turn around, and it, it's a, a magic act. He's gone before yeah. you know it. No question. Hashtag rage. Billy Lucci, TechSacks.com. Right. Billy, thank you, man. Appreciate you. All right, guys. Thanks. Yeah, man. Uh, one of the best right there. And uh, a great host for us when we were on uh, the Taking Out Kick on tour in college. He's the best. I mean, if you want a master of ceremonies... Uh, in Aggie Land, we have a that, lot to live up. That to is, that's your guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly intimidated. I, I don't, I don't even want to offer it up because I feel like I, there's nothing we could do that would be as cool as the stuff that he uh, uh, was allowed us to do. I should say, yes. it was really just allowing us to tag along. Access, yes, opening doors. Uh, coming up, traditional TV. It's definitely a thing of the past. We've got the latest example, and an NFL player has been indicted. Details next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Hutton and Withrow with you. Outkick 360 rolls on. Saints running back Alvin Kamara, he's been indicted by a Las Vegas grand jury on charges related to the incident that took place in the in last year's Pro Bowl weekend in Las Vegas. If you remember, these charges uh, stem from uh, the accusation is Kamara and three other men, including a, a Bengals corner, Chris Lamons. They were indicted on charges of conspiracy to commit battery and battery resulting in substantial bodily harm. Uh, they are accused of hitting and kicking another man after he and Kamara got into a dispute outside of a hotel elevator. And it's the, on, it's on, it's on camera. It's on camera. Yeah. Yeah. It's on camera. And the reason why it took so long, I, I, I believe for these charges of uh, the indictment to happen is all of these um, hearings were pushed back 
over the last 12 months due to the NFL season, due to whatever, whatever legalities behind the scenes are going on. And that's why we're just now hearing about this after this most recent Pro Bowl. But the thing I'll never forget is the NFL knew about this and they came to the stadium before the game and the NFL allowed him to play the game before he was arrested. They held off. He had to get that Pro Bowl in before the authorities came and arrested him. The important thing here is this is not a new story. That's right. So a lot of times when you see Alvin Kamara indicted, you immediately think, what happened? This is a very old story we already knew about. Now the indictment has happened. If you watch that video and see what happened, I don't know any way he wouldn't be indicted at some point and charged with a crime. It's, it's It's not good. The video. Now, I don't know what all led up to it. I'm sure that's going to come out in court when this happens. But the video itself, it speaks for itself. There's a guy getting beaten and kicked on the ground by Kamara and his buddies, and it's all there to see. First court date, at least scheduled as of right now, is for March 2nd, which is two weeks from today in Las Vegas at their district court uh, location. But we bring this up, too, because now this is where you have conduct detrimental to the league, and you can begin to find out what type of suspension we're on the verge of seeing for him through the NFL, right? Yep. And and so we it'll be a talking point this summer as this progresses. I don't I don't foresee this being uh, a quick uh, and swift deal through the court system. They never are. So maybe we have some resolution going to this season, but he played all of last year when healthy. And, you know, we, we now find out what happens post-court uh, post hearing and what's the resolution of this because that's when the suspension will come down. Hit us up with your thoughts at OutKick360. Um, Chad, we, we kind of already knew that streaming is the way of the world, right? It's but becoming that way. For the first time ever, this is a report from Yahoo!, for the first time ever, more people will watch streaming content in 2023 than traditional television. So I, I, I thought about this when reading this article, and I look back at things I watch over the course of the week, and even just you know last night, I watched Tennessee and Alabama in basketball. Mm-hmm. I watched Arkansas and Texas A&M some basketball. I watched 1923 on Paramount Plus, a streamer. Uh, I watched a recording from SEC Network on a documentary about SEC basketball history. This sort of aligns with my my interest. But everything I watch, I think, even the things I'm watching on traditional cable that I recorded, I could just watch on a streamer. So even the things I watch, unless it's live sports, which those are also all typically mm-hmm. available on streaming For somewhere the most part, also. Yeah. But... Going from my cable setup to streaming is, for me, probably about 50-50, right? So this makes a lot of sense to me. This report speaks to me because it's pretty close to 50-50 on this. But for me, it is. But the bottom line is everything that I'm watching, even on cable, would be available on streaming somewhere also. Well, and now even the traditional networks are pushing their streaming service, right? Yes. I think that's also a massive part of this is they're putting more content of what they're known for on their streaming services and plugging that more than they are sometimes the shows that they're trying to air and get a rating for. 
the only way these huge companies are going to make money long term on streaming is doing what they're doing now. They've essentially shifted the old cable bundle mm-hmm. that we've all known for years to a streaming bundle. So they had the right model and they screwed it up because of carriage fees and other things. And they thought, well, you know, digital streaming's the way of the world. That's what's next. We got to do that. Spent a ton of money on that. Most of these places have done nothing but lose money on streaming with the amount they're spending. And now they've realized, oh, I think we had it right to begin with. So now we'll just shift everything digital and streaming and we'll bundle it that way. And then now people will just pay for a Mm -hmm. streaming bundle for everything they want as opposed to the cable bundle. So it's all just moving to a digital stream instead of cable. But really, it's the same thing they had before. They just created a system where they've lost a ton of money for years now, and now they're going to get back the money by making us get away from cable and spend even more on a streaming bundle. And the only... That's the way of the future. The live aspect of television is sports, and that's it. Sports may be those that watch local news and weather. That's about it. Yes. In terms of actual live TV. But even that, like, even the local stations here are streaming their news now through their app. Yeah. Anytime, 24-7. But I would say most people that watch are watching. No, oh, no doubt. Let's turn back to the local channel if there's snow or there's yeah. bad weather and see what's going on. Tiger Woods is even through six in his first round back uh, in months. He was seen adjusting the ankle brace on his right leg. He's trying to make it through. He's in a lot of pain. But even through six, your leader is Max Homa right now at Riviera Golf Course.